Hey friends, this is Keenan, the Creative Arts Minister at the Christian Church of Carl Junction. And I just want to say thank you for joining us for this podcast. The Christian Church of Carl Junction exists to glorify God by being disciples who make more disciples. We do that by coming to God, thriving in family, and going on mission for His kingdom. We hope that this podcast helps you take next steps in following Jesus with everything that you have. Now, here's today's podcast episode. Amen. Today, we are going to launch from our verse for the entire month in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. This verse is the starting point of every message all month long. The prophet Isaiah, as God inspired him to write these words to the people, he wrote this, chapter 9, verse 6. He says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. Now, Coincidentally, this verse wasn't really written at Christmas time. This is a prophecy about what God was doing for the people. To us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders. And then Isaiah tells us, the prophet tells us what his name will be, what he will be called. He says he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Note here that Isaiah does not say, God does not say a son is given, a child is born, and he'll be called Wonderful Buddy and Mighty Teammate and Everlasting Friend and Prince of Convenience. That is not what we're told he's called. He is a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, and a prince of peace. God knows what we need, and he is committed to giving us what we need and then helping us learn to want it because he knows the deep needs of our heart. He gives us a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, everlasting father, and a prince of peace. That's who God sent in the person of Jesus, his son. This morning, I want to give you what I believe and I hope are three super practical steps to approaching Jesus as the wonderful counselor. Now, typically, I'll put all the text of all the Bible we're going to read on the screens behind me. It'll be on the screens at home, all those things. There's a lot to say. We're going to jump through three separate passages of the Gospel of John. And so instead of doing that, I'm going to just tell you the chapter. And I'm going to ask you, find a Bible somewhere. If you're in the room, there's these blue Bibles scattered around. And you're going to open up to John chapter 4, page 726. It's right there. They're real easy. Or you can find it on an app on your phone. The YouVersion Bible app's great. There's a bunch of great Bible apps. If you're at home, find a Bible right now or get it on your phone as well. We're going to read the word together today. Three steps to approaching Jesus as the wonderful counselor. Step number one. Step number one, we have to be honest with him. We have to be completely, entirely, wholly, and totally honest with Jesus. In John 4, we see a an encounter between Jesus and a woman. He's walking through an area called Samaria. Now, the Samaria area and the there Jesus came from, they didn't get along. There were cultural differences. There were, there were all kinds of racial bias going on. And so for a Jew and a Samaritan, they were not going to be friends typically. But Jesus passes through the area of Samaria. He sits down next to this well. And it says in verse 7, it says, A Samaritan woman came to draw water. And Jesus says to her, he strikes up a conversation. He says, will you give me a drink? Since his disciples had gone into the town to buy food. So Jesus is all by himself with his well. And this woman walks up and Jesus approaches her with a conversation. Will you buy me a drink? Now i got to pause there and make a point that you're going to see in all three of these passages that is true in our life. Just like it's true here. You see, Jesus 
always makes the first move. He makes the first move with this lady here, and he does it with us too. He always takes the first step toward us. Always does. This woman walks up, and she doesn't say a word to him. In fact, we know from the context of her life, that we're going to see a little bit of that in a moment, she was not excited to talk to anybody, let alone Jesus right here. She was going to silently go about her task and go on her way. But Jesus makes the first move, always. He does with you too. Uh, You say, well, I don't know, I don't know, Adam. I've never been sitting at a well or a a McDonald's and Jesus walks up and says, get me a Coke. That's never happened before. He never makes the first move like that, but I know it does because the Apostle Paul writes, the Apostle Paul writes in the letter to a church of Romans, and he says, while you were still sinners, while you didn't know Jesus, while you had no idea you needed a Savior, before you even drew your first breath, before you were born, before you had done anything, before any of that happened, while you were still sinners, Jesus died for you. He always makes the first move. He made the first move before you were even thought of by your parents. He knew who you were going to be. When you were still in the womb, he knew you. And he made the first move. And then he made the second move. He's buried in a tomb. He made the third move when he walked triumphantly out of the grave to give you the opportunity to have life and not death. And he made a fourth and a fifth and a sixth. He made an infinite number of moves before you even were alive. Because he wanted to do everything he could to come to you first. Jesus makes the first move, always. Here's the woman here. This is what conversation ensues. The woman says to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And Prince says, Jews don't associate with Samaritans. See, what the woman does here is, When she comes to the well looking to be silent, to be quiet, to do her own thing with nobody to talk to her, and Jesus makes the first move and says, hey, can you get me a drink? Her head comes up, and she immediately begins to try to deflect, to dodge, to avoid, and to evade the conversation. Uh, Sir, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. You're a man. I'm a woman. We shouldn't be talking. We don't associate. You're not from around here. No one should see us together. I, I don't know. And she begins to dodge to deflect the conversation. How often do we deflect when Jesus talks to us? How often? Just in the Gospels, we read things. Jesus asked some questions. He made some first moves toward people, and they deflected things. He said things like this. He says, who am I? The disciples are all around. Who am I? Who do you say I am? Well, some people say, you know, Elijah, some say Moses, some say this, some say that. Deflect, 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 deflect. No, Jesus says, no, who do you say I am? Uh, he, says, he says, do you believe? And we dodge. Well, you see, it's really hard to believe. It's, it's, you see, that's a complicated question, Jesus, and I really got to go back and talk about some hard things. And he, says, he says, why are you afraid? Well, I live in a, it's, you know, it's, the world's kind of scary, and I, I deflect. I don't want to tell him why I'm really afraid. He asks questions like, like, why did you doubt? He says, what does what Scripture say? These things he says in the gospel. What's the Word of God say? But we dodge it. We dodge it. Peter, at the end of the gospels, he says, do you love me? 
Peter doesn't say yes. Peter says, well, you know that I do. He deflects it. He doesn't answer it straight up. How often, when Jesus talks to us, instead of saying yes, how often do we instead deflect, dodge, avoid, and evade the conversation to put things back on our own terms? But if we want Jesus, the wonderful counselor, to make a difference in our life, to change something in our life, we have to be honest, completely, wholly, totally honest with him. The woman's not going to be. Let's keep reading here. Jesus says, well, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. He's going to have a conversation about how, how if, if you took the water I give, you won't be thirsty anymore, but the water you have this well, you'll thirst again. And it's this kind of confusing conversation the woman doesn't fully understand. And then Jesus, when he's trying to offer her life, Jesus then says down here later in John chapter 4, verse 16, he says, hey, go and call your husband and come back. Well, she says, I have no husband. You see a little deflection there? Maybe you know what Jesus is about to say. Jesus says, well, you're right when you say you don't have a husband. The fact is you've had five husbands, and the man you now live with is not your husband. What you said was true. It was a deflection, but it was true. He says, go call your husband and then come back so I can tell you some things. And, And the woman says, well, I don't have a husband. See, she knows the truth, and she doesn't want to say, well, uh, Jesus, actually, which one do you mean? I'm working on six now. She wants to deflect, put it back on her own terms, and says, I don't, I don't have a husband, and he says, I understand. You see, when you're talking to Jesus, the wonderful counselor, before anything will ever happen, you have to be honest. If you're not honest with Jesus, nothing will change in your life. If you're not honest with Jesus about who you are, where you're at, what you've done, where you've been, and what you're going to be doing, if you're not honest with Jesus, then nothing will ever change in your life. It does not matter how many church services you go to. It does not matter how many Bible studies you attend. It does not matter how many Bible verses you learn or how many times you close your eyes when somebody else prays. It does not matter. If you're not honest with Jesus, nothing will ever change. But once you are honest with Jesus... Everything changes. Look over the next column. Everything changes. Verse 39. The woman has a little more chat with Jesus and goes back to the town. And it says then, verse 39, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. Well, what was the testimony? The testimony was not, hey, I met Jesus. He was a great preacher. It wasn't, I met Jesus, and, and man, he did this miracle. It was an amazing miracle. It was, it was so, so awesome. The, the testimony was not, well, I went to a, a rally, a convention. It was great. It was convincing. And the testimony was simply this. He told me everything I ever did. See, when you go to a counselor, sending is true with human counselors. If you're not honest, nothing will change. The difference is you can lie to a human counselor and they don't know the difference sometimes. But Jesus already knows. Jesus doesn't need you to be completely honest to know what's going on in your heart. The good, the bad, the pure, the evil. He does not need you to be honest so he knows who you really are. He already knows. He knows everything in your heart. Every single little part of your past, your present, and your future. He knows all of you. He wants you to be honest. 
And when this woman finally comes clean, you're right, Jesus. I have had five husbands. The one I have now is not my husband. And she had a talk with him. Then she goes back to the town and she says, you need to meet this guy that knows everything about me. I've been completely honest and he's changing my life. And then the town goes back and the town, it says many there became believers and they followed because of the testimony of this woman because she was completely honest. Things began to change in her life and in her town's life. If you want to see a transformation take place in your town, it begins with you being completely honest with Jesus, that's what you've got to be. And once you're honest, everything begins to change. So number one step to approaching Jesus, that's the wonderful counselor, you've got to be honest with him. Number two, you've got to want to be healed. You've got to want it. Jesus offers it. He, he's going to deliver it to you. He promises it. He's going to give it. You've got to want it, though. If you go to John 5, the next page, these little blue Bibles here, chapter 5, verse 1, it says, sometime later, some time goes by, some days, some weeks go by. Sometime later now, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. He's going up there for the festival. And now there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool in Aramaic. It's called Bethesda, surrounded by five covered colonnades. It's just kind of a description of where they're at. At this pool, a great number of disabled people used to lie there. The blind, the lame, the paralyzed now, one guy who was there, he had been an invalid for 38 years. It's a long, stinking time, isn't it? 38 years. He's been laying here by this pool. 38 years, people have been carrying him out here, laying him down so he can beg for some spare change. He can ask for some help so he can think, man, I wish I could be healed. I wish I could be healed. I wish I could be healed. I'm longing for some hope and some help, but it's not happening for 38 long years. This has been going on in this guy's life. Now, Jesus saw him lying there. And Jesus learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, 38 years. So he asks him, do you want to get well? It occurs to me again that Jesus made the first move. Do you want to get well? He, he makes the first move with this paralyzed man, just like he makes the first move with you and me. Well, we were still sinners. Before we knew we needed desperate help, before our 38 years of hoping and praying and longing had even started, Jesus made the first move. Do you want to get well? Because I'm offering you everything you need to be well right here and right now. Do you want to be well? Well, sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. And would you look at that deflection? Well, you see, you see, sir, I, I really, I would like to be well. I would like to heal. I would like things to change, but I just, no one's helping me. Well, well sir, you could, no one can expect me to do something to help myself. Look at my condition. I've been this way too long. I, I'm too helpless. No one could expect me to do anything. I, Deflect, 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 deflect. The irony is that this guy has been longing for help and for hope for 38 years. And when the one who promises and has the ability to offer the very hope and the very help that he's wanted for so long walks up and says, okay, do you want it? Instead of saying, yes. A hundred times, a thousand times, yes. I want it, yes. Help me, yes. Instead of jumping on the opportunity, yes, he deflects. 
Well, no one will help me. Look, no one cares. He's given up. And when the wonderful counselor talks to you and you deflect away from him, all you are doing is delaying the hope you've been asking for, the help you've been dreaming of for so long. All you're doing is delaying what you've been wanting. We do the same thing. Some of us in here right now, some of us online right now, some of us right here just feel so lonely. We live in a world that is broken. Our relationships are broken. Our families are cracked. Things are frazzled and things are falling apart and they are fraying at the edges and we feel so lonely. And maybe you came in here today, you logged on today and you're right here right now. I'm just so lonely. I just wish, I just wish that I had some kind of family. You turn the TV on and you watch the family the, on the Whatever you're watching, you see how people make their own little family and they bond in their workplace and you see how tight they are and how great things are. And I just wish I could be a part of a family like this. And then someone walks up and says, hey, why don't you join me at Oikos tonight? Come to my family. Oikos means family, just a fancy word for it. Come to my family. We've got a bunch of them in our church. There's, there's five right now. We're looking to launch a sixth and maybe a seventh one in the next few months. Come join my family. Hang out. Be a part of that. And you know it's what you've been wanting, but, but, but the thought of going to someone's house that you don't know is a little bit intimidating. And you're like, I don't know. I don't know those people. I don't know. Uh, you're going to eat food. I don't know if I have anything to bring. I don't know. And, well, I watch football, and that's Sunday night football, and I don't know if I can go to that. And I, don't know, I don't know what's going on. I, it's a little bit out of my comfort zone. I don't know if I can do the whole thing. And so I deflect, I deflect, I deflect, I deflect. And then I sit at home. <coughs> Excuse me. I sit at home feeling more lonely. Because I deflected away the help that I was hoping for. We say things like, man, I wish I knew the Bible better. Because maybe you've determined that if you just simply knew this book better, if you knew these things better, and I believe this, if I know these pages better, the more I know what God is saying to me, the better my life will be. i got to know the Bible better. And someone invites you, hey, come to my, my Bible study. Come to my, my, my group on Wednesday nights here in the church, my men's group, my ladies' group. Come to student ministry. Send your kids to the kids' ministry. Come to these things. This is where you need to be. I don't know. i got to hurry after work. i got dinner plans. I'm tired. It's been a long day. I just want to relax. My favorite show's on TV. I don't know. I, I deflect, deflect, deflect away the help that I've been hoping for. I want to experience missions. I want to, I want to see what the world is like, and I want to see how God's kingdom is at work all around the world. And I know I've been invited to go to Ninos right now, but man, that is so far out of my comfort zone. It costs a little bit of money. What about COVID? I don't know what's going on. I can't go. Excuse, deflection all over the place. So I sit at home and said, I just wish someone would let me see what missions is like. And we deflect away the help we've been hoping for. We do it just like the invalid at the pool. If you're going to approach Jesus as the wonderful counselor, you've got to be completely honest. If you're not, nothing will change. You've got to want what he's offering. He promises that he will heal everything that is broken. He will fix everything that is messed up. He will restore everything that is lost. He will return everything that was stolen by the enemy. Do you want to be healed? You can say yes or you can deflect. Check out what happens to the guy at the end of John chapter 5. Right here it says, 
Jesus looks at the man and he says, get up. Pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. It's that quick. Does that mean that the minute I'm honest with Jesus and I say, yes, I want to be healed, everything gets better and all the problems go away? Maybe not. There's still going to be some like residual consequences to work through. It's, we don't heal quite that fast overnight. Things take time in our relationships to mend back again. But I promise you, if you are completely honest with the wonderful counselor and you want the healing that he is offering to you in your body now, in your mind now, in your heart now, and in totality in your eternity, if you are saying yes to that, then something will begin to happen pretty quick. And I wonder for this invalid right here, this crippled man, how many years, how many minutes did he waste deflecting when he could have said yes and walked so much quicker? How long do we spend deflecting when we could have known this Bible better? We could have been living in the thrill of seeing the kingdom of God spread around the world everywhere. We, we could have been living in the joy of family, but we've been deflecting for so long. How many years, weeks, months, days, seconds, minutes have we been wasting in our deflection? It doesn't matter what the thing is for you. If you're deflecting it, you're delaying it. And if you've been asking Jesus, the wonderful counselor, for help, for healing, for restoration, for anything, he promises he will give it. He will give it now in this shaded world we live in, and he will give it in fullness in eternity. He promises he will give it. But I'm going to tell you, it's going to come through the mouth, through the invitation, and through the relationship of somebody else in your life who's living out God's will in your life. That means that if you're asking the counselor to help you, that means somebody else probably in this room right now, somebody else in this family of God right here, somebody else is going to be the one to invite you along, and you're going to have to say, yes, I want to be healed, and take the next step. So we've got to be honest. We've got to want to be healed. And number three, we've got to do whatever he says. Look at John chapter 9. It's two pages over his blue Bibles here. We've got to do whatever he says. In John 9, it says in verse 1, as Jesus went along, some time has gone by now, a little bit of time has passed. As Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, that means teacher, who sinned? This man or his parents, that he was born blind. There was a cultural belief that if they had a, uh, some kind of physical infirmity, there was sin behind it. Jesus says, no, it wasn't neither this man or his parents that sinned. This happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And then you drop down, down to verse number six. Jesus is going to make the first move. The blind man hasn't said a word at this point. He's not requested help. He's not approached Jesus at all. It says, Jesus, after saying this, Jesus spit on the ground. Now, Jesus does some weird stuff sometimes. This might be one of the weirdest. After saying this, he spit on the ground. He made some mud with his saliva, and he put it on the man's eyes. That's just kind of weird, Jesus. And I, I got to be honest, if, if that were me, and I were that blind man, and I don't know what's happening, and I hear Jesus all of a sudden, Whoa! and I'm like, I would be angry. 
I mean, this blind guy, he is used to, he is literally used to people spitting at him as they walk by. You know how messed up our culture can be? Well, there's the same way. When we don't think somebody can see us or they can't hear us or they don't know who we are, we will do horrible, broken, decrepit things. Jesus walks up. The man hasn't talked to him yet. Jesus tells the disciples it wasn't this guy or his parents to sin, but this is done so that the work of God can be seen in him. And he turns, takes a step, spits on the ground, mixes the mud up, if I'm with this blind guy, I'm his friend saying, I'm like, wait a minute here. Jesus does some weird stuff. Jesus scoops up two piles of mud, puts them in the man's eyes, rubs them in a little bit. Tells the guy, go now, wash in the pool of Siloam. Go wash them off now. If I'm the blind guy, I might have been tempted to kind of chew Jesus out a little bit. Are you serious? What did you do? If I'm with the blind guy, I'm like, man, now i got to go clean this guy up. What are you doing? Get him out of here. We react angrily when things are weird around us. What is going on here? The disciples are priced in. They're like, oh, Jesus has gone and done it again. How many times does he do weird stuff? Matthew 17, another one of my favorite weird Jesus moments. He's talking about temple taxes and where money goes and who do you give it to. And he tells the disciples, hey, go down to the river, catch a fish, pry its mouth open. There'll be a coin in there. Just trust me. Take it out. Pay the temple tax with that. Just go get it out. It'll be all right. Trust me. Now, if I'm a guy and my friend says, Adam, this is what I want you to do. I need you to go fishing, catch a fish, pry the mouth open, get a coin out. At that point, I assume my friend is screwing with me. I'm not going to be the one to go be the butt of the joke and get this coin out of this fish's mouth. But Jesus asks us to do weird stuff all the time. He asks these 12 young guys, leave everything you know, leave your family, leave your job, leave your home, leave your community, and follow me. And I'll turn you into a fisher of men, which is a weird thing to say. But he meant it because everything Jesus says is true. You go to the Old Testament. God does some weird stuff. Speaks to Abraham, leave your home, leave your family, leave everything, follow me, I will lead you. You can't see me, but follow me, and I'll lead you to the promised land. I'm not going to tell you where it is. We'll get there, though. Just trust me. That's, that's a weird leap of faith. Same Abraham, 100 years later, he says, hey, I know you prayed for a son for a long time, and now you have him, and you love him. Go up on a mountain. I want you to sacrifice him to me. Mm, that's tough. Moses, when people of God are slaves in Egypt, Moses, I know you ran away from Egypt because you killed a guy when you were angry one day in the desert. You thought you got away with it. You didn't. You ran away. I want you to go back, walk into the king's palace and say, let my people, your two million slaves, leave. The people then, when they did leave, they're out in the wilderness and God says, hey Moses, everybody's real thirsty today. Take your staff, smack that rock, water will come out of it. Just trust me. They're backed up to a sea, to the ocean. They're backed up to this huge sea. They got an army bearing down on them. Moses, don't worry about it, man. Don't worry about it. I'll put a big cloud there to block the army. I'll part that sea. It'll be dry. Just ignore the water and just walk across it. Trust me. 
You get to the promised land. You get there and walk in. You're going to come to the city called Jericho. They got some massive walls. Just walk around them. Here's the battle plan. Walk around them. Don't say a word. That'll really intimidate them. Trust me, the walls will fall down. God says do some weird stuff. Jesus says, Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost. If you want to be saved, you've got to change your thinking, be baptized into water, forgiven of your past and raised out of the water. You'll be full of God's spirit. It's kind of a weird thing to say. Jesus asks us to do weird stuff. This blind guy that has mud on his eyes now says he went and he washed and immediately he could see. Just like that. He could see. When we approach Jesus as the wonderful counselor, we got to do whatever he says. When you ask Jesus for help, You've got to put your yes on the table before you ask the question. When you ask Jesus for help, you've got to put the yes on the table before you ask the question. You don't get to ask Jesus, I've been an invalid for 38 years. I kind of want some help now. I, I've been married time to time to time, and my current marriage is in shambles. I kind of want some help now. I've not been able to see very clearly for a long time, but I kind of want to have some help now. My kids are messed up, but I want some help now. My job is falling apart, and I'm in danger of losing it. I want some help. My finances are a mess. I want some help help. So Jesus, please help me. The wonderful counselor, I don't have to set an appointment up. He's always here. I don't have to go to his office. He's always here. I don't have to pay anything. He paid for it on the cross. I don't have to do that. He's right here. I ask him for help. And he says, this is what you need to do. You got to be honest with me. Your choice to sin caused this. Do you want to get better? Yes? Then you need to change the way you think about all the sin in your life. You got to drop it all. You got to surrender to me as king. And I'll transform the way you live. We don't get to ask that question, hear that response, and then say, Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to consider it for a second. I like part of what you said, but not that part so much. So I'm going to forget that part. I'm going to take this. I'm going to tweak it. I'm going to kind of deflect all of that back into my own terms again. That's not how we follow Jesus. When we approach Jesus, before we even ask the question, we take a blank check yes, and we lay it before him. Whatever you say next, Jesus, I will do. Because you know better than I do. So yes, yes, a hundred thousand times, yes. Church, family, what I want for you this Christmas is to experience the fullest joy possible in following Jesus.
I want to see you become the center, the, the nexus point in your family, your community that brings transformation to your entire town. I want to see you begin this revival in your workplace. And I want to see you begin to change the people you live around. I want your friends to be different because they're around you. But it all begins with you being honest with Jesus, saying, yes, I want healed, and then doing whatever he tells you to do. It all begins there. And so I am praying that over you this entire month. This month right here, we are going to gather with family. We are going to gather with friends, maybe more than we ever do all year long. And you have an opportunity. Put your yes on the table. If you've not followed Jesus yet, I want to invite you to follow Jesus this morning. I want to invite you to follow Jesus. If you're in the room, then it looks like you're getting up in a minute, going to the lobby to the next steps table and saying, I'm putting my yes on the table before Jesus and we'll pray. We'll talk about that next step of faith. If you're online, it means you send a message right now. So I'm putting my yes on the table before Jesus. And we will, we will communicate with you. We will help you take that next step of faith. So your life will be different forever. Let's stop wasting days, weeks, months, years, minutes, and seconds deflecting things. And let's say yes, Jesus. And let him transform, restore fix, heal, and mend. If you've already followed Jesus, there's an area of your life, I know there is because I have the same in my life. There's some part of your life that you need to let go of today. There's some part of your life that you've been dragging along behind you, limping a little bit with it, hiding it from everybody else. And today's the day that you lay it out to be healed. You put your yes out for Jesus. And let him continue transforming who you are. But pray for us. We're going to sing one song as we respond. Don't let the moment pass. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you. I thank you for the way you've healed and transformed and restored our life time and time before. I thank you that you are doing things in us right now and through us right now. I thank you, Father, that some of us came in here today tired and wore out, dragging our broken lives behind us because we've been laying next to a pool for 38 years hoping for help, and we finally saw the place it came from. It's from you. And so, Father, I pray that today you would do what you promised. Begin to make us new. Some of us, Father, came in here not seeing not seeing well in our marriages and our families and our friendships. And we can't see the future you have for us. I pray, God, you'd put some mud on our eyes and you'd give us a simple instruction and we would say yes. Father, some of us today came in here thinking we would just go through the motions and deflect a little bit more. Father, I pray we would drop the act and instead lay a yes on the table. Father, I pray you would continue your transforming work in us and make us new. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for tuning in to the Christian Church of Carl Junction podcast. If you're looking to take next steps of following Jesus, please email me at keenan at cccj.church. And I would love to connect with you in taking your next step in following Jesus.